I'm Brianna Doss, and I see a lot going on in the world around me, and I see a lot of problems. As a high schooler, it feels like it's difficult to really do anything about it. But science is a powerful tool. Project 80 is made of groups of high school students from around the country. We get all our data directly from scientific experiments. The goal of Project 80 is to get the average person to think about science and think about how it impacts their life. Juliana Garner, Brianna Doss, Anna Pakazuki, Nico Polar. I am Project 80. I am Project 80. I am Project 80. And this is our attempt to use science to change what matters. Our instructor, Luke D., always tells us to start off with gratitude. So before we get this podcast started, we'd like to extend a very special thank you to the original Project 80 team, Dana Wang, Gabby Sabatier, Kim Chen, and Sarah Moseson. So one day, Brianna and I, my friend, were outside of the bio room, and Luke D., our bio teacher, comes out and tells us about this big white wall that's right next to the bio room that is this huge waste of space because there's nothing on it, it's completely empty, and a bunch of people walk by it every day. So he told us to come up with an idea to make a poster or something to fill this white wall and to email him with it. And so we thought, what about, like, superfoods and foods that people think are cool, like kale, for example, is kale really that good for you? Like, why do people call it a superfood? What in kale is so good for you? And so we came up with this title, Kale, Superfood or Super Poison, and emailed it to Luke. But no one even cares about kale. We need something that's relevant to the students in our school. Rather, all teenagers. That's Ethan Lipka. Well, what about marijuana? Just a few months ago, they legalized weed in California for people over the age of 21. But teenagers still have access to marijuana. And if anything, this increases that access. So we talked to our peers about their experiences. I started using last I started year in the summer. I was honestly curious to see how it would impact my ability to once a month. There are tons of immediate effects. Laziness. My hands looked weird. Tired. Headache. Was really bizarre. Sleepy. Less focus. It felt like having a video game going in there's no long-term effects. Probably, but I don't know. The only effect is the short-term. I'm hoping it won't impact my career, but I can't know for sure yet. Just so you know, these are actors. We didn't actually get anybody high for this podcast. But why was it illegal in the first place? It all comes back to a man named Harry Anslinger. In 1929, he was put in charge of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, which is the largest it had ever been because of Prohibition. Then, in 1930, when Prohibition ended, he was left with a big question. What was he going to do with this huge organization? So, he launched a massive smear campaign against marijuana that went for seven years until 1937, when it was made illegal throughout the United States. But why now, and why not earlier? So we asked Luke how he felt about it. I just can't believe that we're putting a drug out into the world right now when we know so little about it. I mean, we're giving basic... This goes on for a while, but let's just say he was upset. Making it available to everybody here, like all the adults, it's going to get to other people, and we don't even know what it does. I mean, like, we could... It could fry people's brains. We don't... Ugh, I don't know. So we decided to do some background research on cannabis the plant, and even though there's no real consensus in scientists on the actual taxonomy of it, they do agree that there are three different types of cannabis, and they're kind of based on the different concentrations of THC and CBD in the plants. But there's more than just THC and CBD in those plants. Research turns out that there's over a hundred different chemical compounds in the plant cannabis. And these phytocannabinoids, as they're called, mess with all sorts of things in the human body. Two of those things are cannabinoid receptors. There's a CB1 receptor and the CB2 receptor. 
The CB1 is found mainly in your central nervous system, so that's your brain and spinal cord, and a little bit in peripheral nerves and in body tissues like uterus, testes, and bones. The CB2 receptor is mostly found in the immune system. And these receptors are intrinsic to things like appetite, memory, pain, alertness, inflammation, and bone health. They interact with the human body in so many complicated ways that it's hard to use these phytocannabinoids to pinpoint specific parts of the human body and use them as a medicine. There are people that take advantage of this, and they're called cannabis cowboys. They basically promise miracles, saying that they'll heal your pain, cure cancer, cure HIV, and will give you all sorts of different laced drugs and cannabis especially. But the reality is, although cannabis might play a role in the treatment of cancer, AIDS, or as a pain medication, the CB receptors deal with so many different things that these treatments might have a lot of unintended side effects. So we started looking at a meta-study. This one was called Medical Marijuana, Review of the Science and Implications for Developmental Behavioral Pediatric Practice. Basically, they were saying that the effects of marijuana depends on the person and on the dose, but those effects can last anywhere from a day after use to a month. Some of the positive effects included anxiety inhibition, euphoria, heightened perception, increased sociability, a time-slowing sensation, an increased appetite, and a decrease in pain. Negative effects included paranoia, anxiety, decreased short-term memory, poor attention, changed awareness of passage of time, impaired judgment, decrease in coordination and balance, and distorted spatial perception. That's Anna. What's really frustrating about Project 80 is that our teacher makes us use only primary sources or meta-studies and reviews using primary sources, which means that everything we say here, although contradictory, comes from real experiments with real data. We couldn't find super strong sources for the short-term effects of marijuana. The review that we used had a kind of low impact factor. One of the really hard things that we had to do was differentiate between good and bad sources. An impact factor is a controversial metric to determine the value of a given source. It's a complicated equation, but it's basically determined by how often a source is cited by scientists. We looked at meta-studies and talked to other teenagers to get the data that we did. However, our results were quite confusing. We looked at an article by Nature Neuroscience called High Time for Marijuana Research. (laughs) Did they really call it that? Apparently so. 9% of marijuana users are addicts, while 23% of users of heroin are addicts. However, cases for marijuana addiction are 10 times more frequent due to its recent legalization. So we were faced with this issue. Marijuana was suddenly legalized all around us, and that meant incredibly increased accessibility to marijuana for teenagers like ourselves. And while we could kind of see the short-term effects, whether through our peers or through these studies, we don't really know the long-term effects and how it'll affect us for the rest of our lives. That's Garber, and up until now, she's been handling our recording. Hi. A long-term study by M.H. Meyer, working for the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences found that people who started using marijuana as teens had IQ decline. People who started using marijuana as adults did not show any IQ decline. The article was called Persistent Cannabis Users Show Neurological Decline from Childhood to Midlife. And the long title held really true. Another article entitled Long-Term Effects of Marijuana Use on the Brain, published by the same organization and authored by F.M. Philby, pointed out, heavy chronic users of marijuana had lower orbital frontal cortex gray matter volumes. What's your orbital frontal cortex? Good question. The orbital frontal cortex is a part of the brain, which is mainly responsible for decision-making and cognitive processing. Cool. What does making your gray matter smaller do? 
Well, that's part of the problem. We don't necessarily have 100% confirmation about what it does, but we assume that it affects decision-making and cognitive processing, making those less effective in the brain of somebody who's been using marijuana chronically. So starting as a teenager means that it has effects on your decision-making later on in life. Another study called an evidence-based review of acute and long-term effects of cannabis use on executive cognitive functions by the Society of Addiction Medicine, which sends out publications to doctors and physicians so that they know how to treat people, found that there were just a lot of contradictory studies on attention and decision-making that did not have a clear answer on what marijuana does long-term. Another study named Evidence for Shared Predisposition... That's a mouthful. Predisposition in the relationship between cannabis use and subcortical brain structure by JAMA Psych. What is JAMA? Journal of the American Mental Association. We should probably know that, shouldn't we? Found that um, in the past, neuroimaging has shown very inconsistent evidence that cannabis affects the hippocampus. The hippocampus is a part of the brain which is responsible for emotion, memory, and autonomic nervous systems. And this study went and looked at other studies and did some of their own research and found there still isn't a good answer to this question. Well, we do kind of know why marijuana makes you high. The cannabinoids in it bind to your cannabinoid receptors, which releases dopamine in your nucleus incumbens, which is part of reward, which is kind of something that's found in all drugs and addictive substances. The other place there's controversy is in the association with weed and psychotic disorders. A 1987 study published in The Lancet by Andreasen claimed that weed could actually give you schizophrenia. What? Wait, so if I smoke marijuana, I could become schizophrenic? Not quite. He made it sound worse than it was. The people he did the study on would use cannabis to mitigate their schizophrenia symptoms, which would actually speed up the onset of their schizophrenia. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. So even though we have all these really confusing results, some of them even contradicting each other, we keep seeing that scientists generally agree on two things, right? They agree that cannabis affects the reward system and that cannabis causes cognitive decline. So I want to say that other than problems with contradicting data, there's a problem that's happening at the stage of the scientists themselves. Something's happening where they can't get enough research to see the actual patterns that are happening. So we decided to look at the story of the scientist, specifically this one scientist, Alan Shackelford, who is a scientist studying cannabis and researching how cannabis can be used as a medicine. Specifically, he helped treat a girl by using a pharmaceutical high in CBD. He helped her go from 300 seizures a week to one a month, which on its own is really impressive. But when he tried to continue his research in Colorado, he found that he couldn't. That's ironic. So what he did was he went to Israel. And I know you might be thinking, why did he go to Israel? Well, here's why. Israel has actually been the lead in modern cannabis research. Because in Israel, there's a lot less stigma on what cannabis does to your brain and to your body. It's still illegal for recreational use, but a lot of scientists end up going there to study it scientifically because it's legal. We found this guy's story, Alan Shackelford, in a nature journal called Research Without Prejudice by Emily Sohn. So looking back at what's happening in the United States, we're seeing a kind of vicious cycle that's preventing scientists to do the research that they need to do. There's not a lot of evidence, as we've just seen. The evidence that there is contradicts itself and is confusing. So that leads to the government not legalizing weed, 
which leads to there not being able to be any research because scientists can't get their hands on weed, which then leads to there not being enough evidence. So it's a vicious cycle of scientists not being able to do their work. Going back to the history we talked about a little bit at the beginning of this podcast, when marijuana was made illegal, it was labeled a Schedule One drug. This is in the same category as heroin, LSD, and ecstasy. To give you an idea of scope, cocaine, methamphetamines are both Schedule Two drugs. This is largely because the efforts of one man. Who? You guessed it. Harry Anslinger. Did you guess him? No. He pushed for policies that prevented researchers from getting any funding for marijuana research. So, so what, now? What, what do yeah. we do? Where do we go from here? What can we do? We're just like six teenagers and one Luke. So we didn't know really where to go from here, but we have learned a couple things from this. We know we need more research, and not just observational studies, we need controlled studies. We need numbers, and we need to know more about long-term effects. And we need to not be afraid of scientists who are trying to do these things. We need to give them funding and make sure that like, resources are there to support them. Specifically, we need to make sure that scientists aren't coming before the people who are actually smoking weed. We need to make sure we know what weed does to us before we start giving it to teenagers. Yeah, we need to have people be knowing what weed does to your body and making informed decisions. Not making positive or negative assumptions, but knowing how it affects your body, how it affects your mind, and then making their decisions from there. So this is what we know. We know that most scientists agree that cannabis use can lead to a decline in cognitive functions. We know that cannabis interacts with the reward system, which means it probably has addictive properties. But we're not here to tell you whether the legalization of weed in California is a good thing or a bad thing. We're here to help you make an informed decision about legal cannabis use. And we're 100% sure that the research isn't fully there to be able to make that decision. The most important thing, and the question that we're left with, is this. Why is policy able to interfere with research required for the American people to safely and responsibly use marijuana? Before we close this podcast, we would also like to mention that, since we recorded it, Israel has moved to decriminalize marijuana use. This means that policy favors fines and educational initiatives and uses criminal prosecution as a last resort. As always, thank you so much for listening to the Project 80 podcast. Keep your eye out for new material on project80.org.